Thank you for listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. On this final week of Advent, our topic is hope-filled living. The preacher is Reverend Chris Johnson. Our second reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 12 to 28. And if you're using the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1188. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. Uh, But I have to start with an apology because I'm not going to be with you at the end. Um, I'm going to be ducking off down to Perigian uh, because we are welcoming uh, Dave Smith there this morning as he commences uh, his work in the parish. But um, there will be an opportunity for everybody to welcome him. We're planning a combined service at the beginning of next year uh, and we'll have a formal commissioning and uh, proper welcome then. But uh, for this first Sunday, um, I'm going to be ducking down there at the end. So I'm sorry I won't be with you at morning tea. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Tell me, how are you preparing for Christmas? I suspect you're doing what most Aussies do uh, as they prepare. Uh, You're in the shopping centres or maybe you're just searching the catalogues for exactly the right Christmas present for every member of the family. Uh, There are Christmas cards to be sent, maybe a Christmas newsletter that you write to your friends and family each year. There is, of course, the supermarket shopping to make sure for the big festive lunch that all the trimmings are there and in order. 
Now, Christians, I suspect, do all of those things, but we do something else as well. Something really strange. We celebrate the season of Advent and reflect on the second coming of Christ. Those outside, there are those outside the church who completely ignore Christ. There are those outside the church who are happy to acknowledge him at Christmas, but just keep him as the babe at Bethlehem. There are those outside the church who would also acknowledge the adult ministry of Jesus and maybe think it's, you know, wonderful moral teaching, but it never goes past morality. But I want to suggest to you that it's only those who are inside the church, those who worship, those of you here today in Advent, who dare to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is not just the babe of Bethlehem, but also the Lord of glory who is coming to judge the world. And so we as Christians don't want to only acknowledge Jesus the baby, Jesus the adult and his wonderful teaching. We want to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord of glory who's going to return and put everything right. And that's the preparation we do for Christmas. To help us do that this Advent, we've been uh, reading through 1 Thessalonians. And this morning we come to the end of the book and chapter 5. And... Uh, towards the very end of the chapter, at the very end of the book, Paul says this. He says, May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The theme of Christ's second coming is prominent throughout the whole of Thessalonians, but here we find it again at the very end of the book. And the thrust of this last uh, section in the book is practical. Our topic today, hope-filled living. It's practical in terms of both love for God and love for neighbour. There are practical tips here for Christian living, loving your neighbour. There's practical tips here for Christian worship, loving God. And I think Paul's saying that if you want to be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, then attend to these matters. The first practical matter in terms of loving your neighbour is the Christian's relationship with their spiritual leader. In verses 12 and 13, he says this. He says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Well, all I can say is you do. (laughs) You do uh, hold us in high regard and I thank you for that. Linda and I get lots of comments about our sermons. Last week uh, there was at least half a dozen people uh, who approached me afterwards and wanted to talk about the sermon and offer encouragement. Sometimes you engage with me also about uh, my leadership in general, matters that are happening in the church and, and why decisions have been made the way they've been made. Uh, And that's an encouragement. When we returned from long service leave that first Sunday back, I felt so warmly encouraged that you wanted me back. (laughs) Uh, And there was a sense of the family uh, connecting again and reuniting, and uh, that was wonderful. However, holding your leaders in high regard in love does not always mean you will agree with them. I want to thank those of you who challenge me when you disagree with something I've said Uh, or you're prepared to come and express to me a different point of view 
When that is done in respect, to me, that's a sign of a healthy relationship. When people share with me at that level, I see it as an acknowledgement of my leadership, as Paul puts it here. You know, there's nothing more discouraging for a leader or a preacher than to never get any feedback, positive or negative. Uh, You feel so insipid and and of no consequence. (laughs) Nobody's responding in any way. But I want to thank you that you do respond and you do engage with me, and I know you also engage with Linda and with Brad. And it's a wonderful encouragement, a feeling of acknowledgement and being loved. And I thank you for the way you put this passage, verses 12 and 13, into practice in this church. Well, having talked about a Christian's relationship with their spiritual leader, Paul now goes on to talk about the Christian relationship with his fellow Christian and the relationship, of course, with God. Practical ways here on how to love one another and love God. And there are 18 short, sharp exhortations on how to do that. Uh, Paul's saying, in the light of the coming of Christ, this is how you should live. Follow these exhortations. If you think about it in terms of what we said last week, it's about being a child of the day, a child of the light, uh, and living with hopeful expectation. Uh, We're going to go through them. It'll be handy if you've got your Bible open, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and following. It's on page 1,188. Page 1,188. We don't have time to look at them all in detail. Uh, Some of them are pretty simple, pretty easy to understand. It's just a case of go out and do it. (laughs) But maybe some also need a little explanation and they're the ones I'll focus on. So in the second half of verse 13, after telling uh, the Thessalonians about their relationship with their leaders, the second half of verse 13, Paul says, live in peace with each other. In Romans 12, 18, Paul expounds that a little further. He says, live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Now, the truth is, of course, that some relationships are toxic and some relationships need a complete break. Uh, So let's just bracket what I'm saying, uh, aware that that is sometimes the case. However, in any conflict, a Christian should be able to reflect on their own behaviour at a deeper level level than others, at a deeper level, because we acknowledge that we're sinners. So we should always be willing to admit that we may be wrong, that we may not fully understand the situation and be willing to engage with the person who wants to be estranged from us to seek to live in peace as far as it is in our control. That's Paul's advice here. Next, he addresses those who are idle and disruptive. I'm going to comment on that a little bit later in reference to one of the other exhortations. But verse 14, the second half of verse 14, he goes on to say, encourage the disheartened, Help the weak, be patient with everyone. Uh, What a wonderful motto for pastoral care. We have a wonderful pastoral care team here at Tawantan. This is a ministry of patiently helping the weak, encouraging the disheartened. And I wonder if you would like to be part of such a ministry. If you would like to consider that, please come and talk to me. We do need more people who are gifted in listening gifted in encouragement, people who are patient and able to walk with those who are struggling. 
And if you think that might be you, come and talk to me. But apart from that, pastoral care belongs to the whole congregation. It's about looking out for others. And everyone can do that. Uh, Simply by staying for morning tea and chatting with others over a cuppa is that you're looking out for them. Uh, And you're offering encouragement. And so that's the role of everyone in the church to uh, love one another and encourage one another. The next two uh, thoughts here in verse 15, I think, are uh, are pretty straightforward. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So just get on and do that. But what about verse 16, where it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. You see, we're now moving from love for one another to love for for God. Is it possible to pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances? How do you rejoice always? Well, I believe it's only possible when we have faith in the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. It's not the natural way human beings are all the time, is it? Only through faith in Christ is it possible. How did Jesus pray continually? give thanks in all circumstances, and rejoice always. He didn't just go around with an impossible smile on his face all day just preaching sunshine and roses, did he? No. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He expressed annoyance with his disciples for their lack of understanding. He sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane as he contemplated the agony of the cross. Yet I think it's true to say that he gave thanks in all circumstances. How could he do that? Well, I think it's because he was committed to do God's will and he understood that sometimes, maybe often, doing God's will involves suffering. Look at the whole of verse 18 there. What does it say? It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you see, Jesus accepted that what happened to him was God's will. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't struggle with it or question it or find it hard. I mean, look at the Garden of Gethsemane. But he certainly prayed continually and kept praying to work his way to a place of acceptance. And uh, that is when he found peace, simply knowing that he was doing the will of God. And in the end, that's the only place we find our ultimate peace. Next, Paul uh, says, do not quench the spirit, verse 19. Uh, The word here for quench has the idea of extinguishing a fire. And so we could translate it, do not put out the spirit's fire. Paul's saying, let the Holy Spirit burn within you a desire to do God's will. And in the context of the next verse, which talks about prophecy, I think it's about hearing a word from God, discerning that God is speaking to you, and then being willing to put it into practice. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through God's word. When you I mean, you can read the Bible at a number of levels, can't you? You can read it at a very simple level. It's just another story like you'd read any other book full of stories. Or you can read it as a disciple of Jesus. Read it as prophecy 
a word from God. Read it waiting on the Holy Spirit to speak to you. This is how we should, as followers of Christ, read it in our private devotions. It's how we should hear it as we come together here in public worship. If you're not approaching the word of God in that way, then you will be quenching the spirit. It's not just hearing the word of God, but letting the Holy Spirit come and apply it in our lives so it works out in practice. You remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us in putting it into practice. Do not quench that work of the Spirit. Now, the purpose of all these exhortations we find in verse 23, which I think is uh, my key uh, verse for the whole of this uh, chapter, where Paul says, our, uh, ask that our spirit, our soul and body may be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think you would agree this is a pretty daunting list. Is that right? How can we possibly live up to it and be blameless when Jesus returns? I think Paul might have been anticipating that sort of question when he goes on to say what he says next. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. If you're feeling overwhelmed in living the Christian life, if you feel this list at the end of chapter 5 is beyond you, Don't be discouraged. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. However, I want to just qualify that with this comment. Don't use that as an excuse to be slack. (laughs) Remember what Paul said a little earlier? Warn those who are idle. So don't let verse 24 give you comfort. If you're not attending to the word of God, if you are quenching the spirit, if that's you, let me admonish you, as he says in verse 12 there, and let me urge you not to be idle, as he says in verse 14. If, on the other hand, you are on fire with the Holy Spirit and you long to put the word of God into practice, then take comfort from verse 24. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it so my friends what better way to prepare for christmas than to reflect on the second coming of christ in doing so our christmas will be much more than just roast turkey and christmas pudding Uh, we will be we will come to the christ child wanting him to make a real difference in our lives and we will have this desire to be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people only want to read the first few chapters of the Jesus story. They only want to know the baby born at Bethlehem. They don't get to the last chapter of the book where Jesus comes a second time as the Lord of glory to judge the living and the dead. This Advent, we're getting the whole story with the help of uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. So as you enjoy the celebration of Christmas and Christ's first advent, may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless as you expectantly wait also for his second advent. Amen. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church 
on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, Spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website, anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.